0: This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast. I'm your host, Jim Garrity. Let's get started. Well, hello, and welcome to the first episode of the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast. I'm Jim Garrity. First, I genuinely appreciate your interest and hope you find the podcast to be of great value in your litigation practice. My goal is to make you a better trial lawyer, by focusing on the most critical events in your case, which are the depositions. Each episode is designed to provide immediately actionable information on a single, specific, deposition-related issue, almost always with case sites to support the points I'm making. The podcast episodes are concise and the titles will tell you exactly what I cover in each segment. If it's not something you need to know about, you don't need to listen. And no war stories. No, let me tell you about the time I did this or that. When I was a young lawyer, I was hungry for practical, useful information to make me a better litigator when it came to taking and defending depositions. But true, deep expertise is hard to come by. So I began writing what turned out to be the leading practice guides on the market for deposition practices. I talk about strategies and tactics that work. And I talk about those that will fail you miserably. Now, I decided to begin creating a series of advanced guides on deposition skills and techniques after reading studies showing that the civil trial in our judicial system is on the verge of complete extinction. One legal scholar found that only about 1% of all federal lawsuits now end in a trial. State court lawsuits have similarly fallen off the cliff. In fact, One article in a business publication citing the professor I mentioned earlier was actually titled, Will There Even Be a Next Generation of Trial Lawyers? Underscoring the disappearance of the American court trial. So without question, depositions are the new trials because depositions are, for most lawyers, the only place any witness will ever testify. That means that in most lawsuits, the outcome is decided by deposition, and not trial testimony. There are many books for sale about deposition strategies and tactics. So the question obviously is, what hasn't already been written? And the answer in my view is everything. That's because the books, treatises, and seminars for sale overwhelmingly address the mechanical aspects of depositions. They tell us how to organize documents, to mark exhibits as we use them, and to work from an outline to make sure we don't miss anything. These quote-unquote tips are, for the most part, instinctive and need not be taught for an exorbitant price. Indeed, most of us learned these basic tips in a law school trial practice course. So I began to wonder about the backgrounds of those offering up this kind of advice in books or in seminars, so I took a look at their backgrounds. What I found was disappointing, but not surprising. Most authors and speakers have very little actual experience in depositions. And I reached that conclusion by first searching the federal case management uh, electronic case filing database known as CMECF for cases in which they've appeared. The majority of these authors and publishers were identified as counsel in fewer than 50 cases in their entire career. Most were not involved in high volume practices or in fields known for frequent trials. Some practice in areas where documents, not depositions, drive the outcome. Don't believe me? Think of the most experienced litigator you can think of, someone you know, someone you've seen on TV, and search their name in the advanced party search on pacer.gov. That field retrieves lawyer appearances as well as actual party names. Then look at the number of cases they've actually appeared as counsel in. Shocked by the result? Don't be. Most lawyers, even the most experienced litigators just aren't hardcore frontline trial lawyers. Even in fairly large organizations with substantial numbers of trial lawyers, the skill associated with evaluating the need for and the method of conducting depositions is lacking. In 2019, a federal judge ordered a statewide government agency, and I'll not identify the state or the agency, to train its lawyers on how to take and defend depositions, it was an astonishing ruling. The judge said there was evidence that the agency's lawyers took no depositions at all in 97% of their cases and that the lawyers lacked basic knowledge about when and how to take them. My background is different. If you search the CM ECF database in the two states where I practice, you'll find that I have appeared as lead counsel in more than a thousand federal cases. Now, over my career, My practice has been roughly divided equally between federal and state courts. So if I conservatively estimate that I have appeared in as many state court cases as I have in federal cases, you can safely conclude that I have appeared as chief or lead counsel in more than 2,000 lawsuits. My practice area is high volume and involves many depositions. The typical case I handle involves between 10 and 25 depositions. So I estimate, based on the number of cases I have handled and the average number of depositions in each, that I have probably taken or defended in excess of 20,000 depositions over my career. And the basic math supports that. I originally chose the title for this series and for the books out of sheer modesty, and I've kept the reference to 10,000 because the publisher does not want me to change the series title at this point. But my goal in writing my practice guides and in creating this podcast wasn't just to pile on top of what already exists. It was to discuss new strategies and new techniques that you can't find in the rules or existing publications. Over the course of tens of thousands of depositions, I've paid attention to what works and what doesn't, and I've made many changes, sometimes almost imperceptible, in the way I approach the examination of witnesses. Over time, I learned that some of those changes routinely led to huge payoffs. Some people say that if you focus on the basics, you'll do just fine. But I think the opposite. If you're not looking for opportunities in the corners where no one else is looking, if you're not looking for the micro advantages that will make a difference in the close case and get you across the goal line, you're missing opportunities. How big are small advantages? Consider this from some Wall Street traders that recognized the value of searching out every conceivable advantage. A few years ago, a trading group spent almost half a billion dollars to pay for a relatively short underground cable that would transmit trades about three milliseconds faster than the cables currently in place. Three milliseconds is three one thousandths of a second. That uptick in speed is so absurdly small as to be almost imperceptible. But the traders realized that in a highly competitive field, every conceivable advantage that could be pursued must be pursued. So they scrutinized every component of the trading process and had identified even minuscule changes that could make a difference. In other words, they overlooked nothing. This systemic approach to successful investing was the difference between amateurs and pros. Small changes often result in the biggest gains. Professionals always look in the corners for micro-advantages. Professional athletes, once they establish their basic routines, immediately look for ways to improve them. They devote enormous resources to finding the advantages. It may be a slight adjustment to the way they run, the way they throw, the way they hold the bat, hold the club, or kick the ball. Once they make those changes, they begin looking for a way to make those changes even better. So their search for improvement never stops. And that's because professionals in every occupation know that continued success demands a constant hunt for improvements. And the practice of law is no different. Princeton University professor Daniel Kahneman, a Nobel Prize winning psychologist and economist, contends that the only real way to develop true expertise is, is to engage in regular practice, A, and have swift feedback, B. But the problem is that a litigator who takes a limited number of depositions each month and who rarely goes to trial has neither. So it's impossible for many lawyers to try a range of techniques in very heavy practice and quickly see the results. My high-volume practice, on the other hand, allows me to engage in frequent experimentation, to see over and over the results of my tactics. I see the results after the depositions, in settlement talks, in mediations, and in trial outcomes. This podcast reveals what I know works. And you can use these techniques even if your deposition activity is limited. In other words, you can implement the most advanced strategies I've developed without the need to devote 30 years in daily litigation warfare. Try my techniques and use them often, of course, making your own adjustments to suit your own style. If you're hesitant to implement them on a widespread basis, try them individually. You will quickly see noticeable differences in the effectiveness of your examinations. Now, to be sure, some of these techniques will draw criticism or objection from opposing lawyers, or even lawyers in your own firm, perhaps your supervising lawyer, if you have one. Often, this superficial opposition is simply the result of the lawyer's own inexperience. Lawyers who've never encountered the tactics and strategies in this book often suffer from the same myopic thinking. If they've never seen it, it must not be okay. But many of your adversaries have astonishingly limited experience, so what they've seen is really no gauge of anything. And respectfully, your colleagues and supervisors may also have limited Experience in depositions. A supervisory title, respectfully, is not a synonym for heavy experience taking or defending. So don't be afraid to experiment. You'll improve your skills and the skills of those around you. Even lawyers in practice for a decade or more can lack appreciation for even the most elemental notions of deposition practice. For example, many lawyers think the rule of sequestration applies to depositions. No, it doesn't. They think that you cannot independently audio tape depositions for all kinds of reasons. Yes, you can. I could go on and on. But let me summarize by saying this. I think you'll find as much value in these podcast episodes as you will in the books I've written on deposition strategies and tactics. Use them as you see fit. You'll see great results. And if you have any questions, please feel free to email me directly. I always encourage it at jim at com. So thank you for taking the time to listen, and I would encourage you to subscribe to these podcasts on whatever site you use and to leave a five-star review if you feel it's warranted. Thank you again, and happy listening.